doesn't matter which episode you're starting from, if this is your first episode, you should know that Pillars Wish for a Liminal World features standalone episodes for you to leave on as background noise or to sleep to. And this series has been both fun and challenging for me to write. Because there is only one character in the entire series and no plot in each episode. So it's just about this guy named Enzo Bozan wandering around a town called Pella's Wish and he enjoys lingering around the many liminal spaces throughout the town. So that's basically all he does in every episode. And I'm not planning to drag this series on forever, you know, it's gonna be up until I'm planning to make it a novel length uh, series. That's about 80,000 words and each episode is 5,000 words. So all in all, that's gonna be about 14 episodes. Anyhow, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be seeing a slideshow of liminal space photos. And if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, you'll just be hearing me ramble along with some calming background piano or jazz music. And the story should start in about 3 minutes from now, 4 minutes, maybe 5 minutes, I'm not really too sure. I've been told that I should include this rambling segment in my series because some people say that it sounds more natural. But to me, I, I'm unscripted and it just sounds like I'm a rambling, stuttering. I don't think I've introduced myself. I don't think I've said my name. I am Talha Fadzilla, but if you've already been keeping up with this series, you should know my name by now. I, I kind of say it in almost every episode. Well, there's only four episodes. I think I've mentioned it in two episodes. And I've talked about Amberlight and myself. Amberlight is me. I am Amberlight. I write fiction. I like liminal spaces. These are all things that I frequently, I frequently mention in my series, I think. I'm not too sure. Then again, there's only been four episodes. So you probably still don't really know much about me. I guess all you need to know is that I am your liminal friend sending you a liminal greeting. Now let's get started with the story. Episode 4 Little Boulevard The grey sky grows dimmer, but the drizzling rain does not let up. It continues into the zero hours and beyond, barely faltering nor intensifying its tempo. How moody must this lazy town be for the drizzling rain to have carried on from yesterday and into the early hours of the morning before dawn? It doesn't matter to Enzo Bozan, however, as he can spend forever sitting at the window of his small motel room, sipping on his coffee and water, listening to the soft pattering of rainfall outside like the whispers of a million tiny lonely spirits. Every once in a while, Enzo will take a step outside and onto the corridor, where he will lean over the hand railing and look ahead at the foggy distance and down at the swimming pool. Standing over there, he will wallow in a few moody recollections and daydreams, and he will let time pass him by without him. By the time he would usually be asleep, he must have had six cups of coffee, some cool, some warm, some with creamer, some black. 
Still, when he crawled into bed and pulled sheets up to his chest, he had no intention to sleep yet. He has booked this room for one night and now he is planning to book another. His studio apartment is no more than half an hour drive away and would get a more proper sleep back there. But Panorama Motel is sort of an atmosphere in which bittersweet recollections intensify and soften him into a near fever dream state. He extracts himself from the wraps that beg him to stay in bed and he proceeds to brew himself yet another cup of coffee with creamer. When the electric kettle clicks signaling that the water has been boiled, Enzo pours a quarter cup of hot water and then stirs the grounded coffee and creamer mix until it is smooth. He fills the rest of the cup up with cold water from the small fridge below the countertop. There is only one light on in this room, a dim warm orange glow. That is where the coffee bar is, so the rest of the room is draped in shadows, and all he can hear is the muted pitter-patter of the raindrops. He sits in the armchair by his bedside and rests his elbow down on the windowsill, and rests his cheek in his palm. What other priceless memory can he reach into at the back of his head? Which memory of his can this weather elicit from him? Way back when he was a young working adult, a marketing executive. Way back when he was a young working adult, a marketing executive, before he could afford the car that he uses nearly every day now, he used to take the train to and back from his office job. When he had turned 19, he had been in the company for six months. The pay was good, the work was horrendous though, but with all the hardship buried somewhere deep and far away in the back of his mind, the transit to and from the office were moments where he was safe from the prickling torment of time. Especially after a hard day at work and the train stations and train seats were mostly empty, save a few other working people who were in the same boat as Enzo, who were just dark figures lingering somewhere at a distance within the blind side of Enzo's vision. He would take a seat at the furthest corner of the platform where he would board the furthest backside of the train. Inside the train he would look through the window as the train departed and watch the warm lights along the tunnel wall as he passed them by. He would bask in the boredom of the transit without any distractions. No phone, no newspaper or magazine, nothing. In the distance beyond the window, there would occasionally be a detached house situated on a hill or in a small farmland or by a small pond. As he looked through the window at his houses, he would sometimes picture himself living there. When he had passed them by, he would sit back and ponder on who he was, who he wanted to be where he wanted to go. He was young and young people often have humongous, often unrealistic goals and dreams. Some youths achieve these tremendous goals that they set for themselves, while the majority of them are left to suffer in the thought that they are pathetic, that they are not worthy of such wealth and success, but they are simply imperfect. And so though, since he was young, he had occasionally pictured living a quiet life and he had toyed with the idea but him being young himself, he did not entertain the idea of a quiet life too much, as he had predominantly aimed for a much more active, prosperous lifestyle. So he forced images into his head of him having a large group of friends, a dolled-up girlfriend, a nice shiny car, everything most people want. When he had turned 20, he looked out the glass wall of his office building and realized that those images he had forced into his head were toxic. Yes, maybe in another reality, Enzo had achieved that large group of friends and that foxy lady and that luxurious ride, but what then? 
When he had turned twenty, he walked down the dark roadside pavement alongside empty buildings after hours, and he had contemplated that lifestyle for a long time. It was not truly what he wanted. He had to tone it down a little bit, he thought. Checking his wristwatch, he saw that it was half an hour past midnight, but he hadn't planned on taking the train back home anyway. An hour and a half ago, it was his birthday, and he was now a new twenty-year-old man walking the lonely streets. It was time for him to be wiser, to conjure more tireful, peaceful thoughts, and he needed to take this long walk under the dark sky to really understand this. The last time Enzo crawled into bed and curled up under the sheets, he still didn't intend to sleep yet. He had finished his eighth cup of coffee and was listening to the meditative sound of rain. He had just visited the corridor outside his doorway for the last time before getting into bed too. The next thing he knew, his narrow eyes were open to a streak of daylight across the ceiling. He had just woken up, even though he didn't intend to sleep when he had gotten into bed. This isn't disappointing though, as it was a wonderful slumber. The drizzling rain has finally stopped and the sky is now brighter than on most days. The mist too is not as thick. He pushes and kicks away the warm, thick sheets to get up and sits at the edge of his bed, staring down at his feet and then up at the window. Remaining still, he recalls what he had dreamt about. It forms in his mind blurry fragments of images. A puzzle piece that gradually completes itself the longer Enzo stays still with his eyes closed and the pace of his breathing slow and deep. The first few clear images that pop into his mind are of him walking on a roadside walkway alongside rows of dark, tall towers and big buildings. Enzo realizes that these images resemble one of his last recollections before he had fallen asleep, of him after hours after overtiming at work and wandering the dark, lonely streets. This dream had taken a page from that book and reworked it into something else stranger. And though there were no lights, and the moonlight too was barely sufficient, his vision was not compromised. He could see everything around him clearly, strange as dreams can be. So now Enzo has recalled his images. What happened after that? He had walked for some time before his gaze met with the back alley between two buildings. He had entered it and followed the narrow course between two brick walls. Towards the end of the mostly straight pathway, there was a turning to the right that invited him to ascend a staircase, and so he took it. After that, he took the second flight of stairs up to the flat rooftop of a white building. Up there, it seemed that the moonlight had brightened threefold, and he could feast his eyes upon several twinkling stars that coexisted with the many wispy strings of clouds that spiraled and stretched across the night sky. It was then that he wondered how far up he was from the ground below, so he began drifting towards the edge of the white rooftop. The further he went, the darker his surroundings became, and it appeared that a ceiling was being formed out of the thin air above him as he walked. Soon he was enclosed in a spacious room. Rather than standing on a rooftop, he was now standing on a platform before a dark, deep, endless pool of water. Red brick pillars infested with moss were erected from out of the base of the pool and holding the ceiling up. 
Casting his gaze down at the edge of the platform, he found that there were steps leading down to a bridge ankle deep inside the water and spanning straight into what seemed to be an abyss. Descending the brick steps, he began his course along the bridge, the water up to his ankles, his hands gripping onto the stone handrails. After a while of pacing, he disagreed with the sensation of the wetness inside his shoes, so he stopped for a moment to remove his shoes and then threw them into the water. Then he turned back to see how far he had progressed along the bridge to find that what he had left behind is not what it was before. It wasn't the simple, plain, rectangular platform he had descended from. It was now a gigantic igloo. Rather than it being made of snow solid snow blocks, however, it was made of black and red bricks. Also, it was much further from him than he had walked along the bridge. But even at this distance, this structure was enormous. There was an ethereal glow emitting from the opening of the red and black brick igloo, although he couldn't see what was inside. Narrowing his eyes, he focused on the faraway building and began to hear a somewhat natural sound that resembled a string instrument, violin-like, soothing and slow. Should he head backwards to get to the igloo instead, or should he continue the straight path along the bridge? When he turned his gaze back, his surroundings seemed to have brightened with a soft but reddish glow, which made it seem almost orange. The ceiling was much higher than he had thought as well as the pillars, but the water was shallower than he had imagined. If he were to climb down into the pool, the water would be at his neck, though he didn't intend to go for a swim right now. This was where the dream had ended, it seems, as Enzo cannot remember what else happened after that. He was leaning across the handrail to stare down at the base of the pool, and then he looked up at the distant ceiling and tall massive pillars holding it up. That was the end. It doesn't disappoint Enzo that this was how his dreams usually end. He is always glad to have experienced them in the first place. Standing up from his bed, he proceeds to make himself a cup of cold coffee and then sits by his window. The drizzling rain mustn't have stopped very long ago, as the outdoors is still damp. It must have drizzled throughout his sleep, in fact, and this is probably why he has had such a glorious slumber and dream. After booking his motel room for another night, Enzo ambles along the corridors of Panorama Motel and then sits on the lowest tread of the shadiest staircase he can find. Resting his head against the wall beside him, he stares at the grass straight ahead. He thinks back about this one time he went on a spontaneous hike in the woodland closest to him. He was 19 and was on his first weekend since joining the workforce. The woodland was just a half an hour walk away from where he used to stay, so he just prepared himself a bottle of water, slipped into an outfit most suitable for hiking, and then went on his way with only his water bottle with a strap slung across his chest. As far as he knew, the woodland wasn't one particularly frequented by hikers. It just so happened to be situated relatively close to where Enzo stayed, and so he was curious to explore it one day. Crossing the highway, he took a step into the woodland and continued straight ahead, making sure that he didn't stray too far from the highway behind him. When he took a seat on a fallen tree, the highway was still a visible gray a distance away on his right side. Taking a sip of his water, he noticed something ahead of him, 
an object that didn't seem to fit within the scenery of greenery and nature surrounding him. He frowned and stood up, hunching his shoulders and narrowing his eyes to concentrate on the shape of it. It was squarish and short, nearly box-like. The closer he got to it, the more it looked like a chair, which it was, a dining chair that seemed to be relatively intact and new. What was this doing here? As though examining a cursed object, Anzo circled the chair several times before stopping in front of it and eyeing the details of it. It was very much a well-functioning chair, and clean too. If it was dumped here because its owner was moving out, why would they go this far into the woods just to throw it, a singular chair? As far as Anzo could see, there was no specific reason for this chair to be set right here. Nonetheless, it was an interesting discovery that he still cannot quite grasp while he sits on the last tread on a staircase in Panorama Motel, more than a decade later, staring out at the green grass before him. Standing up, he climbs the... Standing up, he climbs the stairs up and back onto the corridor. He makes his way to the furthest end of the corridor where he then leans over the handrail to look at the parking lot below. The other car apart from Enzo's that was here yesterday is now gone. There is now only Enzo's car in the parking lot. So where did the staff park their vehicles? Is there another parking space reserved just for staff? It doesn't matter. The more Enzo feels like he is the only person in this motel or in the entire town for that matter, the better. The last stop Enzo makes before heading back to his room is to the swimming pool. The remaining rainwater from a few hours ago has dried up by now. The tiles are clean and sparkling. He sits by the poolside, removes his shoes and then dips his feet into, into the cold water. Leaning back on his palms, he looks up at the foggy sky and wonders when it will rain like it did yesterday. He looks into the water at the base of the pool and at how the daylight interacts with the surface of the water to create an artwork of rippling shadows and light. Bending his body forward, he rests his elbows and his thighs and his cheeks in his palms. He bent down lower and lower until, by impulse, he just let himself fall into the pool with all his clothes on. This is what's happening, and Enzo has no regrets. He lets, he lets himself sink lower and lower into the pool, then he lies on his back, holding his breath and watching air bubbles float up. The cold water engulfs him, filling his vision with a dark blue tint. Right then, a gust of wishes permeates his thoughts, a wish that he could breathe underwater, a wish that he could sleep underwater with his eyes open, a wish that there was a secret chamber or maze somewhere here, and yes, so many other wishes. Leaving his eyes open, he looks through the surface of the water and at the sun, a blurry blob of white surrounded by blue. Then, with a few moments he has left before his lungs scream for oxygen, he closes his eyes and entertains his fantasy of a whole other underwater world inside this pool. There is a pitch-dark opening on his left. He floats up several inches from the floor to begin swimming towards it. When he enters it, he is greeted with a bluish glow filling the room he has just discovered. The base of the pool inside here is further, lower, and there is a dinner table down there with paintings along the walls made to look like windows looking out at varying nature landscapes. Rotating his body to face upwards, he finds that there is a small gap of air between the ceiling and water that he can retreat to when he wants to refill his lungs. Since he already could use a breather, he floats up there to poke his face out and then takes a huge gulp of air before diving back down and deeper towards the dining table. 
Down there, he lands on his feet and starts walking along the walls to view the paintings. The paintings really do make him feel like he is looking through windows at surreal scenery. There is one depicting a spiraling train hovering over a dull green shallow hill. The trees are so tall that Enzo cannot see the top of them through the window. There is another painting where an upside down gigantic staircase leads towards a valley between two snow covered cliffs. Perhaps these really are windows rather than paintings. He fingers the handle at the bottom of the frame and pulls on it. To his surprise it is a window that he can open. Then he reaches his hand through the window and feels the cold winter wind on his skin. Poking his head out the window, he takes another gulp of air and then closes it and proceeds to look through another one. Since he had dived into the swimming pool on a whim, all his clothes are now wet. He spends half an hour in the public bathroom wringing his clothes and waiting for them to dry so that he may enter his room without wetting the floor. Enzo sits on the large countertop near the sink and stares at the uniformity of the blue cell doors. These doors lack the kind of graffiti, often obscene in nature, that are usually found in public bathrooms. It then makes him think, why do those graffiti artists, if they can be even be called artists, bother scribbling nonsense on cell doors? What kind of rascal carries around a marker pen and when he sits on the toilet bowl pulls out his pen and lets his vulgar imagination loose? This bathroom in comparison is so free from such perversion that it is as pure as a saint's room. The tones of the interior too are dull and bland, even if the colors chosen are those that are generally perceived as bright, beige, blue, orange, it is more so about the tones. They remind him of an indoor jungle gym he used to go to as a kid that wasn't very popular with the other kids. For nearly a whole hour, he sits right where he was always seated on the countertop and eyes the ceiling, walls and doors. Then he slips back into his still slightly damp clothes and proceeds towards his room where he takes a shower and wraps himself in a bathrobe. While the electric kettle while the electric kettle boils water at the coffee bar, he combs his hair in the mirror and then mixes coffee when the water is boiled. With his mug of black coffee in his hand, he sits by his window and looks out at the sky that has begun to darken. The transition of day to night is something he wishes it could be slower. It often happens too quick for Enzo's liking. It is a time of day when the sun looks like it is resting on the horizon and the sun really could use a break, but instead it continues to travel towards his next job somewhere else in the world. Halfway through his coffee, the sky has become dark, and Enzo is still seated at the window. He puts his feet up on the edge of his seat. Nothing special ever happens out there, and that is particularly why he can stay here for this long. The view is nearly as still as a painting that he can study in great detail. And while he is studying it, his mind paces to and fro between the past and the present. The last time he had stayed here, he had had a dream of another version of his motel. It resembled more of a hotel rather than a motel. Instead of corridors being open to the swimming pool and parking lot below, the walls and ceiling enclosed them. 
It was a plain corridor with doors and turnings left and right along a straight path. What appeared ahead of him would always be a pitch black dead end that seemed to maintain the same distance from him no matter how far he had progressed along the corridor. There were always down lights of a dim white glow above him too, few and far between. Even as he wandered towards the pitch darkness ahead of him, the blackness moved away from him and new down lights would fade into existence. Unlike most of his dreams where his surroundings were more liquid-like and variable, this dream was more fixed, constant, solid, even repetitive. The first structure that he came across that broke the monotony, the monotony that he really didn't mind experiencing, was what looked like a small office break room, one which Enzo came to realize resembled a break room in his old office. Looking through the glass wall, he saw only a single chair at the square table and a counter ranging across one side of the wall that had only an oven on top of it. He had sat on the, he had sat on the chair inside the break room for what seemed like 15 minutes before exiting and exploring the corridors again. After several turnings left and right, he found a staircase that he descended without any hesitancy, as though it was the most natural course to take. It had led him down to a massive, empty, foggy parking lot. This was where the dream had ended. When Enzo is brought back to reality, after having reviewed his past dream, he finds himself standing outside his door and leaning on the handrail looking down at the swimming pool below. He has no memory of having left his room, but this tends to happen when he is this deep in thought. When his mind drifts away, so does his body as though they are both trying to find the furthest distance away from each other. He stares up at the mothball for a moon resting and hiding behind a mass of fog. Then he rests his arms down atop the handrail and his chin in his arms. Tomorrow he will take a night trip to Little Boulevard. In the morning he will check out in the morning he will check out a panorama motel. What will he do between the morning and the night then? Might as well go home first. He heads back into his room to brew himself yet another cup of coffee, this time with creamer. While the water boils, he lies in bed and stares up at the ceiling, and locking his fingers behind his head, he wonders when he will visit this motel again. It is not that resting here is better than at home, but it is another kind of comfort. It is stranger. It is somewhere between familiarity and the unknown, and this motel sits in a special spot between the two. There are many other places in Palaswish that are as such, each of them having their own unique identity. There were a few reasons as to why Enzo decided to sleep a little earlier last night. After having so randomly swum in the pool yesterday, he was slightly tired as well as relaxed. And since he had slept later than usual the day before, he wanted to set his body clock back to normal. And if he wants to fully enjoy a tour around Little Boulevard tonight, he better have enough sleep beforehand. And lastly, it seemed that he it seemed that he usually experiences some of the best dreams at Panorama Motel, and so he wanted to see what there was in store for him and for how long he could stay inside this dream. It wasn't anything special, and that was just why it was special. It began with him standing in green grass and staring down at a small pond that was much deeper than it was wide. In that manner, it seemed more like a well.
The grassland it was standing on was a plain, even ground that was vast and semi-encircled by tall apartment buildings. The buildings were practically slabs of concrete with windows. All of them were a uniform light gray and lacked design and features. The portion of land that wasn't enclosed by any tall buildings was open and endless. Over there, the giant sun set on the horizon staring at Enzo. And all throughout this lengthy dream, the sun just sat there, staring back at him. Eventually, Enzo sat in the grass across from the big, friendly sun. It didn't blind him with its brilliant golden rays, only glimmered behind the fog, gentle, unintrusive. Every once in a while, Enzo had looked at the buildings instead, at how the tinted glass in the windows reflected the soft sunlight, and he looked into the deep pond, or well, an underwater tunnel with walls lined with mossy pebbles and stones. Towards the end of the dream, he stood up and began strolling towards the sun, but before he could reach the end of the grassland, he had woken up after a whole nine and a half hours of sleep. This should keep him wide awake all throughout his trip around Little Boulevard. Now he is making himself his first cup of coffee for the day. He has an hour left before a checkout, so he spends it by sitting by his window with his coffee in his hand and his bag slung across his belly. After checking out, he drives back to his studio apartment where he brews himself his second mug of coffee for the day, this time with milk. While staring at the miniature dining building on his bookshelf, he sips on his coffee and then proceeds to drag his chair to the corner of his room and sits there, staring at nothing in particular and sipping on what's left of his coffee. After he is done with that cup of coffee, he goes ahead and brews himself another, this time black. He sits on top of his kitchen counter and sips on it to the last drop. For the third cup of coffee with milk, he decides to be a little bit more adventurous. He brings it outside to the stairwell, sits on the top tread of the staircase and sips away. Looking through the square window in the stairwell landing one flight of stairs below his floor, he sees that the sky is darkened. It is now time for him to go to a little boulevard. So he heads back to his apartment, rinses his coffee mug, and grabs his car keys from the key hanger. Nearly an hour later, he is parking his car at the entrance of the Little Boulevard train station entrance. This train station is no longer functioning, and so he can practically park his car anywhere around here. Exiting his car, he looks up at the black sky behind the black building, and he takes a gulp of the cold wind before going down the ramp into the basement-level parking lot. Sometimes the power turns on at night. It doesn't seem that it will tonight. It doesn't matter though, as the dark station is as enchanting as it is with its lights on. He enters the stairwell and into the pitch darkness. The only way he can tread the stairs is by using his feet and hands to feel his way around until he reaches the ground floor and then pushes the twin doors open. It is still dark beyond these doors, but it is a shade brighter bright enough for him to see the walls and shapes of surrounding objects. This area, five years ago, used to be a shopping place for passers-by on their way to their transit. The shops used to sell candies, chocolates, beverages. One by one, along the years, the shops closed down as there seemed to be more shops open than there were visitors. Now there are only silver shutters in place where there used to be open entrances into the shop lots. The upper levels of the station are open to the ground floor, and the ceiling is made of glass. That is how the moonlight shines through the glass and into the station, 
enabling Enzo to see where he is going. Just as he sits on the bench across from the shop lot, the lights turn on and now he can see, as he had forgotten how huge the station is. Whoever turned the power on was probably the owner, or somebody associated with the owner, perhaps a family member or friend. They must have noticed that their building has a visitor, or maybe they're trying to keep this place looking alive, in the case that a potential buyer were to come across it. Maybe the lights are on right now because the buyer is with the owner and is surveying the state of what is being sold. They still have hope in this dead place, and it probably can be turned into something more useful if it can be sold to somebody with the right plans. But right now, Enzo needs this place to be dead. He hasn't gotten enough of it yet. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pillow's Wishful Liminal World. Until next time.